Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hey everybody, how's your day going? I know it can seem that one day just blends into the next in this lockdown stuff, but uh, I trust that you're well and you're, you're good in spirit and that I can contribute something to your uh, time and um, experience today. Uh, if you did not catch up on last week's uh, Halloween production, I, with all my heart, recommend and uh, ask you to uh, make sure you catch up on it. I think the music is fantastic. I think the theme is brilliant. And I think the lesson about uh, wearing the mask is uh, is um, uh, un- undeniably relevant to our journey at this time. But I want to talk to you today about uh, something else I think that uh, uh, can well attach itself to the situation we find ourselves in. I want to talk to you about about being, uh, becoming, feeling stuck. I think one of the great uh, errors of the evangelical community has been the emphasis on biblical literalism. And by that I mean that uh, the Bible and the text of the Bible is approached from the angle um, of its uh, its pure historicity, its pure factuality, um, that what it says happened, happened, who it says people are, they are, what it says they did, they did. Um, and wherever you sit in that uh, conversation, I, I guess I sit somewhere in the mix thing. I think there are, uh, I think there are some historically and factually actual things recorded. I think there are many metaphorical and allegorical things recorded. I think some things are statements of of reality. I think other things are poetic. I think there's mysticism um, and and, uh, and legend and myth all drawn in there to to get a message through to us that is about our spiritual journey. And um, uh, the reason I mention that is because as I look at the text of scripture, which is one of my favourite things to do, um, I see so much more than the argument of did this really happen? Was this historically correct? Does this place exist? I, I actually don't think that that is, mostly speaking, the point. And uh, so I want to talk to you about a story in there that uh, has just been buzzing around in me. You can find it in uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 5. Uh, and um, uh, it's the biblical story of the Pool of Bethesda, and it paints a powerful picture of what it means to be late to the party. Now, I'm sure many of you will understand that phrase, being late to the party. It's like it all happened before you got there. Uh, uh, You weren't invited. You weren't involved. You, You didn't make it for when it really mattered. That kind of thing, being late to the party, is all about missing out and probably because you got stuck 
somewhere or in some way. So, so it's only a few verses. So let me read these few verses um, to you and talk to you a little bit about it. Uh, it's in John chapter five. Here's what it says. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now I guess some of this stuff you would be a bit apprehensive of writing it or talking about it these days uh, as to whether it would be politically correct, but stay with me. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, the legend that surrounded this was that uh, um, at, at particular times, uh, and I guess unpredictable times, that their legend was that an angel would come down and, and stir the waters, disturb the waters, and that whoever got into the waters first, after the waters had been disturbed... Uh, would be healed of their, their malady, their, their, their problem. And so this guy says, um, uh, um, uh, let me get there. Okay, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. What's interesting right from the start is the location and why the writer should feel it necessary to tell us, in Aramaic, it's called Bethesda. Why would he draw attention to that? Why, why not just uh, leave the word alone? Because that word Bethesda has a very definite um, interpretation uh, in Hebrew. We're talking about the Jewish story here. And in the Hebrew, it has a translation. So why would he feel it necessary to say that in Aramaic, it's called Bethesda? Here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word, Hebrew word Beth Hesda, it's two words. Beth Hesda means house of mercy or house of grace. But in Aramaic, which was the most commonly spoken used language at that time, the influences were Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Aramaic in Aramaic, which was the, the most prominent language in which many would say um, a lot of the uh, was the common language of, of the New Testament era, particularly at Jesus time. It could also mean shame or disgrace. So Bethesda in Hebrew definitely meant house of mercy or house of grace, but in Aramaic it could also mean shame or disgrace, house of shame or house of disgrace. Now, now the, the, the nearest connected language to Aramaic is Syriac. Now, of course, you can guess where that links into, into Syrian. And, uh, and according to the Syriac English Dictionary, the word hesdo, right? Remember Bethesda, the word hesdo in Syriac or which was Hesda in the Old Aramaic, has two opposite meanings. So the same word means grace and disgrace. It means, it means uh, mercy and shame. So, so hence Bethesda was both a house of disgrace and a house of grace. So, so the, 
it was important that we recognize that the writer was trying to get through to us something that we need to understand. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda. So this place was a house of mercy, but also a house of shame. It was a house of grace, but also a house of disgrace. Now, I love the way the writer throws into the detail then uh, things like, and you see this throughout these ancient writings, 38 years. Now, I find that fascinating. The 38 years may be a specific and actual and accurate definition of uh, how long this person had been in the condition they were in. Um, you know, if you were writing, you'd think, well, why not round it up to 40 or whatever? <laughs> you know, but it's not rounded up. It's it's very specific. And I think, again, for a very important reason that, that life doesn't often round itself up to the neatness and tidiness that we would like it to be. It kind of gets stuck somewhere in between those things. And I think even using terms like 38 years is saying life just doesn't seem to want to round itself up to a nice figure, a nice conclusion. It gets stuck somewhere in the middle of the counting. But anyway, he throws in this detail that it's 38 years, pretty long time. Uh, and what he's getting through to us, it, it, it's, it's the story of frustration that has gone beyond a mild inconvenience. You know, it's way beyond that now. 38 years is a way of expressing, expressing something that we would probably redefine as always, okay? So, so when you say this always happens to me, every time I try, always fail. Things always seem to go wrong. This is what this 38 thing is kind of throwing our way to consider. Gone beyond the mild inconvenience of, oh, shucks, you know, I'd really like to have gotten into the, the, the water when it was stirred, to like, I've been 38 years trying, I've been 38 years attempting, I've been 38 years seemingly working at this, I've been 38 years in this situation. And, uh, and and so you get to the place of all, oh, it will always be like this. I always miss out. I'm always the one not to see where I get coming from in all of that. So now, now it pulls into the story, the pain of the almost. And how our most common response in situations like this one it's describing with its 38 years and I couldn't get in the water, I've never been able to get in whenever it's been stirred, I couldn't make the most of the opportunity, I couldn't find my freedom. Um, it, what it's doing is it, it, it's in, in that, it it's pulls us into the story, the pain of the almost, and now our most common response is to relapse back to familiarity. So we might have tried, but we relapsed back to familiarity. Now, I'm, I know I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to many of you today that, you know, you've tried and you've got that frustration. It's gone beyond mild inconvenience now. Uh, it's gone to the always and then it's gone to the almost. This always happens to me. I almost get free. I almost seem to get this dealt with. Um, but then we relapse back to the familiar. We go back to where we were waiting again for this mystical opportunity somehow uh, to come our way. It, it, it beautifully focuses on that feeling of being stuck, of trying but failing. This is where I'm driving today. And of the always feeling. Someone else will always be ahead of you when it comes to experiencing a breakthrough. Uh, 
you know, something will always crop up. Somehow that happens every time. Do, do you see what becomes the the expression of all of this? You know, I guess I guess it's of being the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Uh, that kind of feeling. Because in in this story, the guy says, when 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 it comes time to go, when when the opportunity is there, when the water's rippling, I have no one, right? I have no one to help me in the water and someone always gets in there ahead of me. I have no one. See, the story in that I have no one is attempting to address the issue of why you're still stuck. This whole story actually is about trying to address the issue of why you're still stuck. And, and here's the reason, here's what it's, it's showing us. You have given the power of your story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with your deliverance. I have no one. What is he doing every time he says, I have no one to help me in the water? He's giving the power of his story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with his deliverance. Now, boy, this challenged me when I came up with this in, in my spirit, in my heart, in my mind. How much in my life have I given the power of my story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with my deliverance? Now, that doesn't mean that people don't care. It doesn't mean people are not interested. But very often, as in this situation, in this place of, of both uh, uh, mercy and, and grace, in this place also of shame and disgrace, in that space, in all the kerfuffle of this, this time, 38 years beyond the place of, of, of you know, just inconvenience, in, in all of that happening in our lives, um, uh, those around us are, have their own issues. Those around us are trying to live their own lives. Those around us are trying to get into the, the stirred water that occurs for them when that stirring occurs because they don't want to be stuck. They're trying to get somewhere, be free from something. And um, But you see, the problem is, and I know I'm, I myself am guilty of this, I give the power of my story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with my deliverance. So, so wanting others to think things, wanting others to, 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 to push us forward, wanting others to be the ones who, who confirm our decisions and our choices and, and all that kind of stuff flows into this arena. I probably could put it better, but you, you can figure that out in your mind. You've given the power of your story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with your deliverance. And the longer it's gone on, the, the more you've given it away. The longer it goes on, that you're giving the power of your story into the hands of others, that, well, this I can't, be, I can't get away from you. I can't resolve this issue without them, without their approval, without their support without their idea, without, without their affirmation. The more we do that, the longer it goes on, the more we give it away and the more we're looking for the very thing that uh, we can't have because they are not the ones who are looking to be the advocate and responsible agent for our story, okay? Those to whom you give the power of your story may not even know what they're doing. 
Now, I know we can all struggle with this because it's like, well, they know what they're doing. Most of the time, they don't. I mean, there are some people, yeah, that always you can make the exception of people who are maybe not very kind, considerate, who are narcissistic, power-hungry, and all that stuff. But, but in the main, those to whom you have given the power over your story probably don't even know what they're doing. You think they do. You think you're being left, rejected, not helped. I have no one. But actually, the, it, the, most of the time, probably 99.9% of the time, 99.9% .9 of those people don't even know what they're doing. That's because they didn't set out to steal your story. You just became entangled in theirs. Now, there's the problem. We become entangled in this mesh of story that is not our story, but we are looking for others and giving others uh, really the, the power over our story when actually all we're really doing is getting tangled in their story and so we finish up still by the pool under the colony underneath the arches as some of you will remember the the uh, the wartime song uh, for a long time that just never seems to pan out figuring out who's to blame when actually we live in this place of conflict of of uh, mercy and shame and grace and disgrace and this war that goes on in our heart see so so now you don't know how to get free that's the problem when pe people didn't set out to steal your story you just became entangled in theirs and and now you don't know how to get free this this is what this whole thing is trying to you know press us into and it talks about how long he'd been in that condition. He'd been in this condition for X whatever, 38 years. See, you can only be in a condition if you've been there long enough to have become conditioned. And that's part of the problem of how we live life. We, we, we hang around in our despair and in our issue to the extent where we become conditioned and we become conditioned by the very circumstance that we are trying to break free of but then can't break free of it because that very thing has conditioned us to stay. It's like we can't live without it anymore. Now, now you see mercy and you see grace. That's what it's trying to show in the Aramaic it meant. Okay, it was called Bethesda. Now you see mercy and you see grace, but you also feel the sense of shame and disgrace occupying the same space in your life. Each of them holding equal power over you. The grace and disgrace, the, the shame and the mercy, each of them holding holding equal power of you, thereby each cancelling out the other. And boy, that's where we so often finish up. That's where one of my criticisms of, of how the evangelical message is framed leaves us. It leaves us still in that place where, where grace and shame, are, uh, grace and disgrace and mercy and shame are still occupying that same space in equal power and therefore they cancel each other out it, it's the classic for those of you who are bible scholars it's the classic romans 7 scenario that the apostle paul talks about i find that a war going on inside of me uh, that what i want to do i don't do what i don't want to do i do do and these things are at war inside of me and it's battle and he finishes up saying oh wretched man that i am that's not a phraseology we would particularly use today 
but in the context of his time frame, that that was that was a real. This is a real bummer. I, I don't know what. In other words, what he was saying is, I feel stuck in that situation. Why? Because he has given the power of his story to others who actually are not responsible or concerned specifically and particularly about his deliverance. And all because of that, this is all because you've given the power of your story to someone else who doesn't have anything to do with your deliverance. So Jesus gave him an instruction necessary to enact if he wanted to become unstuck and free. This is what he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. See, unless you're prepared to pick up your mat, you will never leave that place of paralysis. See, the mat represents the place where you have secured your spot among the many challenges surrounding you. You just, you know, picture it. Here we are in this place, this pool of Bethesda, and you've got your spot. You've had your spot for 38 years. You might have spent the first two or three years working your way into the spot that you now have, but you've found your spot and you've laid down your mat and now you've put down your mat. That's your territory. This is your place. And you see that mat represents the place where you've secured your spot among the many challenges surrounding you. And we're guilty of that. We, we tend to have put our mat in a place amongst those challenges. And that's where we sleep and that's where we eat and that's where we feed and that's where we live. That mat has become our world. And, and you don't want to let it go because first of all, it represents the security of the familiar. And secondly, because it long ago became the definer of your identity. And for so many of you out there wanting to not be stuck, you have to understand that this is the reality of your life. You don't want to let it go because first of all, it represents the security of the familiar. And secondly, because it long ago became the definer of your identity. And somehow we've become so um, enmeshed in now this identity of our own difficulty that even the prospect of getting free becomes too far away I have no one I don't get in and all the stuff that we've been talking about with the conditioning moving away from the conflicting space where the power of your story has been surrendered to others is a scary shift it really is but it's in the taking up your mat that you find you can walk, <laughs> that you can walk away and into a space where grace and shame are no longer in conflict, where you no longer feel stuck. You get out of that place. So get up, pick up your mat and walk and let's be people together on that journey. As someone once said, we just really need to be the people committed to walking each other home. Let's be that people today. You be that people. And I pray that something that I've said today will help you become unstuck because you will have learned not to allow your story, the power of your story, to be in the hands of someone else. I love you. I'll catch you again. Have a wonderful rest of the day and stay safe. 
Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash QChurchYork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.